Hi, everybody. I have some exciting news. I am launching a Substack. I know. I keep telling you how I'm not a writer, and I'm still not a writer, but I am going to be writing about reading over on Substack. The Substack is called Unstacked, and you can find it at tracythomas.substack.com. There will be free options every Friday. There'll be a bunch of weekly roundups, announcements, all the shit I'm into. And then if you want to upgrade yourself to the paid subscription, I'm going to have author interviews, bonus episodes, anticipated reads, book pairings, community chats, all sorts of stuff. So, If that sounds like something you'd be into, go to tracythomas.substack.com and join Unstacked. And of course, I've got a special offer for you. If you go to tracythomas.substack.com slash the stacks 10, you get 10% off your first year membership of Unstacked. You have from now until April 4th to redeem. Again, that's tracythomas.substack.com slash the stacks 10 for 10% off Unstacked. Okay, that's enough. Let's listen to this episode. Welcome back to The Stacks. This week, we are discussing To the Bridge by Nancy Rommelman for The Stacks Book Club. Our guest is journalist Heather John Fogarty, and I am your host, Tracy Thomas. Did you read along with us this week for The Stacks Book Club? Do you want to talk about this book? Well, listen, we have a new awesome thing we're doing. It's called the Stacks Virtual Book Club. Every two weeks, we get on a video chat and we discuss the book face-to-face with other listeners and readers. To join, go to patreon.com slash the stacks and pledge $3 a month and you'll be a part of this virtual book club community. Patreon is a website that allows you to be a real-life patron of the arts. You commit to a monthly contribution, which gives you inside access, membership in our virtual book club, and more. You also get to feel really good about yourself and about being part of a community of people who believe in literacy, diversity, and having a good time. It's really easy to join the Stacks Pack. Go to patreon.com slash the stacks and contribute what you want. If a monthly subscription isn't your thing, you can also do a one-time donation at paypal.me slash the stacks pod. Supporting our sponsors helps support this show. You can also help this show by clicking through the links in our show notes or website before you shop on Amazon. The Stacks earns a small commission on these purchases, and it comes at no cost to you, so everybody wins. Don't forget to subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, wherever. And if you're listening to us through Apple Podcasts, please rate and review the show. This week on the Stacks Book Club, we're discussing To the Bridge by Nancy Rommelman. It's the story of a young mother who throws her two children off of a bridge in Oregon in 2009. While this is a true story, if you're unfamiliar with the details, you may wish to read the book before you listen, as we will give away parts of the book uh, throughout the episode. The wonderful Heather John Fogarty is back to discuss To the Bridge, so let's get to it. All right, everybody, we are back again with Heather John Fogarty, journalist, and this week we're talking about to the Bridge, A True Story of Motherhood and Murder by Nancy Rommelman. Welcome back, Heather. Thank you, Tracy. Okay, so this week we're doing what I love to do, which is reading and talking about true crime meets investigative journalism meets how and why did this happen. It's an incredible book. I love this book. So you... Heather told me about this book before it ever came out, months before. She was like, my friend Nancy 
is writing this book. You're going to love it. And she showed me a picture of the cover or something. And I was like, okay, perfect. Yeah, I love this book. Even before I had the idea to do the podcast. Right. The thing is, I've been following the path of this book for the last seven or eight years. Mm. And, um, and, you know, from Nancy beginning to follow this story, uh, I believe she started blogging about it. It wasn't even on assignment. It's just, it was one of those things where she was watching the news. She lives up in Portland and this story came on and, um, can we talk? We, yeah. we can just dive We're right in. in. There, there might be spoilers this week. While this is a true crime story, so it's all in the news, if you're not familiar with the story, there's there will be revelations in the book that we're going to give up. So it is spoilery if you don't. If you want to read the book, you should read it now and then come back and listen. But if you don't know if you're going to read the book, we're not spoiling anything you can't find. Um, so in 2009, a woman named Amanda Stott-Smith dropped her two children, um, Eldon and Trinity, off of the Selwood Bridge in Portland, Oregon. And um, Eldon, who was four, passed away. And Trinity, who I believe was seven, she survived. She stayed kicking and screaming in the freezing cold river. I think it's the Willamette for like 40 minutes. Um, And so the book, while it does document, you know, what happened, um, it, Nancy really kind of tries to figure out what the fuck, how, how did this happen? Because a lot of people, including the judge and the husband said, you know, we'll never know how this happened. We'll never know why this happened. And Nancy, who you all heard talk a few weeks ago, and I'm sure you got the sense was like, oh no, I'm going to figure this out. Like it's not, you know, you just have to look. So she dives in. Um, and the book is her chronicling not only what happened, but also, you know, talking to people and trying to figure out what this relationship was with Amanda, the mother, but also her estranged husband, Jason Smith. Um, I think that kind of, but yeah. So she was, I've asked her about this. She was watching TV, I think, and saw this story on the news and, um, Nancy, like myself is a mom and, uh, anyone's reaction to this story is shock and horror Mm -hmm. but I think as um, mothers that it it hits at a at a physical visceral level the the horror of imagining something horrific happening Mm -hmm. to your child and so this this was what was haunting her and um as I said, she was a reporter in the area and uh, began looking into the story because for most uh, of the coverage, once, um, you know, Amanda was brought to trial and convicted, that was that was it. Case closed. And it just she Nancy couldn't stop thinking about it. Like what brings a mother to this mm-hmm. point? So, mm-hmm. well, she she wasn't she never did the trial. She was brought up on the charges and she pled. Right. So I think that also was part of it. Um, I know later in the book, I think it's the friend, you know, I'm going to fuck up all these characters. It's the friend, the husband of one of Amanda's friends who was the lawyer. And he says to Nancy, he's like, I don't know why they didn't go to trial. Like they should have gone to trial. And I think in the end, this book kind of ends up being the trial. Like there's so much information that comes out. Do you think that there would have been a different outcome with a trial 
I don't think there would have been a different outcome with the trial necessarily. Mm -hmm. I do think that with a trial, there's some information or understanding or there's a narrative at least that's built. Like mm -hmm. that's the job of the defense and the prosecution is to build a narrative and to back it up. So you hear from a lot of people and it kind of exposes what was going on. Um, one of the things that I found kind of was like a huge theme throughout the book was not talking about it. So Nancy is a character in this book, which is why she we're going to keep bringing her up. Normally when I read true crime, I don't bring up the author every few words. Um, but Nancy has kind of inserted herself in the book as the journalist trying to figure out what's going on, which for me was jarring at first because I'm used to true crime where it's like, I'm writing about what happened and they don't, you know, the people who are writing don't always pop up, but I've noticed this trend in true crime recently. I don't know. I know you don't read as much. I don't it. read as much true crime, but I can only speak to this book. And I, I think that given the information, the testimonies and who would, and more importantly would not talk mm -hmm. that Nancy needed to be transparent yeah. and reveal her role in the information gathering Correct. and research and sort of how she um, presents the information as it's coming to her. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that I think that had there been a trial, there would have been a way to write the book without Nancy being a character. But because Nancy almost serves as the trial, right? She's mm -hmm. the person asking all the questions. She's the person putting it together, trying to create or recreate not necessarily a narrative, but she, I mean, this book is kind of messy in that way that like, she doesn't say this is exactly what happened. She kind of says, it might've been a little of this and it might've been a little of that. And for me, I find that to be very refreshing in this book that she's not coming in and saying, this is what happened day one, day two, day 15, the bridge. Like she's like, you know, it could have been a little bit revengey, but it also could have been like Amanda thought she was doing the right thing and Nancy's grappling with all of it with us. Mm -hmm. And so I, I, in the end, I really appreciated that she was there. But at first I was like, wait, what's happening? Well, I mean, so I, I, my impulse is to call them characters, but of course this is, right. this is true. Yes, the real people. So the real people. And, uh, you know, she did over 80 interviews and, um, you know, she had said to me when we were talking about it that, you know, she just kept getting more and more information and people reaching out to her and, you know, at, at some points she felt like she had 32 voices talking mm -hmm. to her in the room. And so, um, you know, it was a challenge for her to try and figure out what the form was going to be and how to organize and structure and introduce new perspectives and voices in a way that um, that added up, up to, you know, some truth. Mm -hmm. Totally. Yeah. So... All that being said, I don't know if it would have had a different outcome, but I think that I think it would have been I would have loved to hear from the people in a trial setting. Mm -hmm. Like I would have loved to have that stuff on the record so that in a in this book there is some, you know, quote unquote definitive record, not that people don't lie and change and all that, but you know, that's part of it too. I feel like Amanda had this psychotic break and sure. And, you know, as a mom, when faced with her actions, killing one of her kids, what more is there to say? Right. 
Well, I also, I mean, one of the things that I've, I've been thinking a lot about in this book is like the kids almost don't factor in to Amanda and Jason at all besides that they're objects that they have. You know, they talk a lot about how Jason would impress Amanda by buying fancy cheeses and purses and like kind of like <laughs> using his money to woo her. Um, and, you know, that there are all these games being played back and forth between them. And it almost felt like this was just another move in that game and like, which is the most tragic part. I know. And, and the kids do seem like an afterthought. Exactly. And like, I don't understand why to this day um, that he wants to separate Trinity from Gavin. Yes. So, so Gavin is Amanda's son from a different relationship so the half sibling of Correct. trinity and eldon yeah right like it's like that the kids are these pawns in the right. game and that they're just pieces that they're moving around mm -hmm. which is why i'm not sure if she had a psychotic break so much as that she legitimately was like this is how i can this is how i can one-up jason not necessarily revenge but how i can like push against him and like she was never it was never about the kids. Like, I want to jump out of my skin as a mom. <laughs> well, you're not that mom. I know, but just even thinking about it just makes me, I, I, I Yeah. I mean, it's not great parenting. I think we can agree. But it has to, I mean, in order for me to think about this right. book and this story, I, I, I kind of have to put her in a place of psychosis. Right. You have to rationalize it because the only way you could imagine doing it yourself, which you would never do, is if you were having right. a psych psychotic break. So that's something that I want to say about Nancy Rommelman because if you were to go to her website and to look at um, overall the kind of subjects that she writes about, mm -hmm. what might not immediately jump to mind is that she is this completely warm and yes. loving and super mom like she and Taba are the closest mother-daughter relationship I can think of um however if you read her stories about these truly terrible like murderers and sociopaths I think that what is a trademark of Nancy's writing is the compassion that she comes to the story with and how she shines a light on the person's humanity when mm -hmm. when you think there might not be any there right. even if that is to say this is a sociopath right we have to understand the situations that create these environments um and that's what i think is the the true genius of this book yeah and yeah like i said i it, it's messy a little bit like it's there's a moment where she kind of goes to the bridge herself early in the book and she kind of talks through the questions that she has, like, what was the weather like? Was Amanda carrying them? Were they in their car? Like, she kind of is – and she throws out some theories in mm -hmm. this part of the book that turn out to be incorrect, but I love that she puts them out there because the there she's while she's looking for answers, she's not, she's not afraid to be like, I got this wrong, or like, this right. is more confusing than I thought, or the person that I was imagining when I went to the bridge the first time turns out to be nothing like – the person that I'm now learning about through their friends and family. But this is journalism, in my opinion, at its very best, yes, which is, oh, I think this is the story. Oh, wait, this is not the story. Right. Let me follow the story and have the story tell me right. what And what then is include true. all the other stuff to make sense. Like, 
she really takes us with her, I think yes. is what I'm trying to say, in a way that I really appreciate because I think a lot of times people are worried about getting it right or making it clean and neat and linear. And this book isn't isn't all of those things, but it's comes together in the right way still. Right. You know, it's like a cake as opposed to like, I don't know, like a steak, right? Like there's like <laughs> like a steak you just grill, like and you put it on and you just let it cook mm. and that's it. But like with a cake, it's like, oh, I got to get all these pieces in and my counter is a mess and like, oh shit, now frosting, like I got to, and I feel like, but then when you take that bite, you're like, yes, this is I all I love that analogy. I love a cake, so... <laughs> I love a steak too, but I, I too. like the cake. But it's, and out. They're, yeah. they're different things. Totally. You know, they're different things. And I feel like this is, I, this is a, it's not sensational, but it, this book does bring it all together and it's the right balance of all the things. So I like that. Um, you mentioned that Nancy humanizes people. And one of the, one of the characters or people she encounters in this book is Amanda's lawyer. Um, his last name is Hadley, I believe. Mm. And he talks about how, which I, I really loved, he talks about how his job is to humanize his clients, not because they're going to get off or because they're going to ever go home and humanizing them doesn't lead to that, but it lets people understand what was going on. And I feel like that's exactly kind of how, what Nancy ends up doing. Yeah. Don't you think this book is kind of an extension of that? Totally. Um, the lawyer was incredible and, and she had uh, so much access to him. So too. much access. I loved that. Is mm-hmm. that, I mean, I, I can't imagine that many lawyers are hanging out with journalists during. Uh, no, I, I, I can't imagine that they are, but in this case, you know, you have a client who is not wanting to speak mm-hmm. to the press and I don't know. You, you, you know that there's a person there. Sure. Yeah. And I know for most of it, Nancy was talking to him about a different case. It was like that meth, the meth head guy in mm-hmm. the forest. Yeah. Um, but even still, I, I thought it was interesting. They're like going to get lunch and coffee right. and he's like, I'll pay. We're like, okay. <laughs> there's like this other like buddy comedy going on between Nancy and Amazing. the lawyer. Um, it's hard not to like Nancy. Like yes. I, I would want her on a ride along, you know. Yes. Any anything that I do, I'm like, Nancy, would you like to hang out again? <laughs> Can you come back to LA and hang out with me? Um so the main crime here is filicide, mm-hmm. which is the killing of a child by the parent or step parent. So yeah. it's a very specific crime. Mm-hmm. Um, and Nancy, there's a section where she details it, like the difference between neonatal side and like the different right. ages and all that. But one of the things that I found to be fascinating was husbands and wives or men and women, mothers and fathers, that's it. Mothers and fathers both commit filicide, but they do it in different ways. They do it in different ways. And also, correct me if I'm wrong, but aren't the statistics that they typically do it at different times in the child's life? And in different locations, all those things. So basically, she says that fathers or stepfathers do it when the kids are older, Mm -hmm. further from the home, and in a more distant way, so like a shooting. Right. Okay. And mothers do it when they're younger in the home and a smothering, drowning, strangling. She almost compares it to bringing them back into the womb with the little ones, like the, the drowning of like the infants. And it, and it is, I think, um, more often than not infants and very young children. Yeah. And I mean, uh, a separate sidebar conversation could be about, you know, um, 
postpartum depression and hormonal changes that are still happening in a woman's physiology after Mm -hmm. giving birth. So that statistic is, um, while, you know, awful to think about, it's not outside of my comprehension. Right. Um, But this crime behaved a little differently. Sure. And, And she also talks about how with mothers killing their children, especially the neonatal side, which I believe is within 48 hours of birth, mm-hmm. like the really teeny tiny ones, mm-hmm. that though that statistic is probably really off. Oh. Because, you know, it's easy to say, oh, that was a stillbirth. Oh. Like that there's a way to cover the crime. <sighs> so dark. Yeah. Um, or that you might not ever have known about the pregnancy at all in some cases, so it's not documented. Um, hmm. Yeah, this crime is... This crime is not quite that. Um, And Nancy talks about also how in this book, this happened in 2009, and it was, you know, kind of during the financial crisis recovery time, um, and that there had been, like, a bunch of other filicides in the Portland area, like, within a few weeks. Mm -hmm. Um, And that fathers particularly, like, that the thinking is, as opposed to what you're saying about mothers, which has to do with hormones and and uh, postpartum and all that has to do with like a demasculating of the men that they don't feel like they're able to take care of their family. Mm-hmm. Um, but in, I believe she says in most of the cases, the parents think that they're the mothers, at least I believe think that they're doing the right thing. They're trying to save their kid. Like with the older kids, it usually has to do with like the kid is sick or there's not enough food and they're starving and whatever it is. And that there's like a compassionate component to it. And Amanda's none of, None of those things. She's none of those things. But I think if Nancy were sitting here with us right now, she might take issue with my earlier comment about like my need mm-hmm. for Amanda to be having a psychotic break or right. having some sort of psychosis because, um, you know, like I think that that we all need this sort of self preservation mm-hmm. um when, when when we hear a story like this like where we need to believe that the person who did it is crazy and evil and and not one of us right like they're other right she talks a lot about that in the book and early on that mm-hmm. like yeah I, yes yes that we need to otherize people who have done these terrible things and give them diseases and all this stuff when really you know it might have been more logical and thought out than it makes us comfortable yeah because we're protecting right our own our own stuff Taking care of your health isn't always easy, but it should be at least simple. That's why for the last three plus years, I have been drinking AG1 every day, no exceptions. It's just one scoop mixed in water once a day, every day, and it makes me feel nourished and strong enough to tackle whatever else might come my way. That's because each serving of AG1 delivers my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics, and a lot more. It's a powerful, healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. The nutritional insurance that AG1 provides has been vital to keeping me productive and focused. It helps me cover my bases in just about the time it takes to fill a glass of water, scoop in one scoop of AG1, and then drink it. So I don't know, 75 seconds? With the perfect mix of vitamins, probiotics, and nutrients from Whole Foods, I'm not stuck trying to assemble it all by myself, which would have considerably worse results. AG1 saves me all the time and hassle, and it has made such a difference in my overall mood and especially my gut health, among many other things. But don't take my word for it. Go ahead and try AG1. 
let me know what you think. Whether you notice you're needing more nutrient support than you're used to, or you just need an edge for a tough workout, AG1 can be the ticket. If there's one product I had to recommend to elevate your health, it's AG1. And that's why I've partnered with them for so long. If you want to take ownership of your health, start with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3, K2, and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com slash the stacks. That's drinkag1.com slash the stacks. Check it out. This episode is brought to you in part by Noom. Forget one-size-fits-all diets. With Noom, you get a personalized weight loss plan that's tailored to your lifestyle. No food is off limits. Enjoy your favorites while discovering healthier habits. Noom's users love the flexible approach, blending psychology and biology to help you lose weight in a way that's sustainable for you. And great news for foodies. Noom just released the Noom Kitchen Cookbook with 100 delicious healthy recipes. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M dot com. Grab your copy of The Noom Kitchen wherever books are sold. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. And when it comes to, I guess, filicide by mother, Mm -hmm. there's this conversation around it that has to do with beauty. And we think of someone like a Casey Anthony who was acquitted Mm -hmm. of this crime, who's young and cute. And she was, I mean, she had like sex appeal, the whole thing going on. Um, And she compares it to another murder of a, of a daughter who was tortured by her mom who got the death penalty. And Nancy is like, this woman wasn't, what we would consider, you know, didn't have any of the trappings of beauty um, and that the punishment is not only in relation, is is more in relation to the mother's appearance mm-hmm. than necessarily the crime. Yeah, well, I think that, you know, if you, you want to expand that conversation to crime in general in this country and who gets away with it and who doesn't, who gets shot in their apartment and who right. doesn't. Well, who gets and charged with crimes and who doesn't. Right. I mean, yeah. I actually, I mean, if we're taking it there, there aren't a lot of stories of black and brown mothers who are committing filicide. You know, it's like the stories that we even hear about are often mm-hmm. pretty white girls who have murdered their children. Right. Because, I mean, Amanda was really cute. She was a cute girl. She was, I think, had Filipino. Uh-huh. Um, but she she was white presenting. Mm-hmm. And she was really pretty. I mean, mm-hmm. she is pretty. And, like, I, you know, I'm sure that played into some of why this story got publicity when there were other stories in the that same happened. area that happened within mm-hmm. weeks. When I was uh, at the LA Times and and – and after I left, um, to this end, a reporter named uh, Jill Levy uh, started something called the Homicide. Um, she report. wrote Ghetto Side. She did. Yeah. And I have issues with that. I do but, too. But, uh, <laughs> but the point being was to document every crime mm-hmm. that happened 
in LA County. Wow. And because at, to your point, there are only certain types of victims and that, that get talked about or perpetrators depending right. on how it fits into what we're comfortable with as a nation as you know as readers sure I mean that's like even with the Laquan McDonald thing that Mm -hmm. happened four years ago and no it was like a blip in Chicago until someone was like there's a video journalist maybe you should look into it Mm -hmm. you know and that like it took someone on the inside and then all this activism to even raise the conversation to a level that people even knew about it Mm -hmm. like so you know it's just the way that crime functions in America is its relationship, I guess, to the media is right. really interesting. Um, and also, obviously, there's then how police see people and what things end up becoming violent crimes or becoming, you know, police shootings versus which things don't. And that's a whole other conversation. But the relationship to the media and the, the perpetrator, I don't know, the accused, mm. it's just... Um, yeah, it's not great. No. I wouldn't want to be on the wrong side of any of that stuff. You know, I wouldn't no, want to I wouldn't want to have done something terrible, you know, and be unattractive and poor and all those things that then turn out to make be held against you. Mm-hmm. Ugh, it's ter- it's pretty fucked up. So, there's this moment where Nancy meets Christopher Hitchens at like a diner or something. Oh, yeah. Does she comment on his suit or something? She does comment yeah. on his suit. But he <laughs> asks her if Amanda thought that the kids would go to heaven. Right. He That was one of his central... Was, yeah. And this is like maybe two pages in the book. Like it's such a small part. But it when I read it and then going back over the book, again, rereading it, it was something that stuck out to me that he zeroed in on that. Uh-huh. And that... Nancy Nancy says that she believes that Amanda believes that the the, the let me try again <laughs> sometimes thinking and talking is hard um that she believes that but also that was important to her and gave her solace right mm-hmm. like that that might have been a reason that she was okay doing this because you know another theme in this book is like life getting better, trying to get to a better life, right? Like with the cheese and with the purses. And Mm -hmm. then it's like, you know, his job and all the stuff that's going on. It's like they're constantly trying to climb up, climbing this ladder, right? And that even in killing her children or attempting to kill her children, she's giving them something better. Yeah, that's it's it's interesting because in the book, if it, you know, when they talk to um, one of her college friends, mm-hmm. uh, a friend describes her as you know, mother goddess, earth mama, mm-hmm. um, and and then we learn that you know she likes to cook, which you know, or that she loves cuddling with her kids, things that later you know Jason, you know, attacks her cooking, mm-hmm. um, her parenting. She starts drinking more. Um, none of it is neat. I mean, you see like a slow but steady psychological erosion with, you know, abuse, both mental and physical. And um, you start to understand, you know, I think Nancy says somewhere in the book that like everyone saw it coming. Mm -hmm. They just didn't know what 
it was. Right, that they didn't know. Yeah, exactly. And she talks to, I think it's that same lawyer towards the end who talks about how Jason's abuse is like textbook abuse and that all abusers follow the same playbook. Like yes. that there isn't – you don't have to tell me what he did. I He's like, I already know it was, you know, knocking her down, taking – controlling the money, taking her away from her family and friends. Like, And he gives a step-by-step thing that abusers do and it's like this is all the same. Mm-hmm all of them do it and like that it's so clear to see it like this book really clarifies exactly that that it is the textbook it is the playbook of abuse um and that there is it's clear why this happened right not necessarily the specific crime but that this was only going to end bad yeah uh one of the people who reviewed Nancy's book is a poet that I very much admire named Nick Flynn and he sort of said you know he he praised the writing which is genius but also said that it um that this is a book that belongs on the shelf with Executioner's Song and In Cold Blood and um and I said to Nancy I'm like yes but you know this where this is different and what you've done here is um those are both books that are very much about sort of toxic masculinity, mm-hmm. particularly the mailer, mm-hmm. which is stunning in right in that um, even even the the way it's written. Um, but you know, to me, what what Nancy has added to this conversation is the effects of this on women, mm-hmm. and that's what this this book sort of grapples with, right. Like what what becomes mm, of yeah. people mm-hmm. in these situations, right? And and also, you know, Nancy also pushes back against that too, in saying that like Amanda was also a sociopath in her own right, yes. and that like the game that it wasn't she was certainly being abused, but they were abusive towards one another in the games that they were playing and the way the way that they were interacting and. That it was always it was so much gamesmanship between the two of them. Something he might that, have had the upper hand a little bit. No, both people are to blame, and only one person committed the unthinkable. Right. But uh, but did you wonder in reading the book if the two of them had paired off with different partners, would we be in this situation? I think it was like this mixing of like two compounds that shouldn't be together yeah yeah I agree I mean I think that it's a very bad combination the two of them but then I wonder if that's his personality or her personality if that I wonder if these things are brought out of you or if well that's what I'm getting at like it's really interesting to think about did that exist in her or was it the specific mixing of these two lives right I wonder if there there was more about her previous relationship um with Gavin's father like I know that it's in there but it's not detailed like why it fell apart or it doesn't seem to have to do with the same things but it was a different time and younger and when she met so after Gavin was born that relationship fell apart then she met someone else and he ended up killing himself Mm -hmm. and then in the wake of that she met Jason or like while that was going on. So she, they, she was very vulnerable. Yeah, and, and so I guess kind of what I'm asking is, you know, is 
is the book asking a question of us as readers? What are we, you know, what are we capable of? Is that why we have such a revulsion mm. to this topic? Like if our circumstances were changed and, you know, we met a different person at this time and, you know, life threw you this and that, like what happens? Right. I mean, I think that the answer that I would like to say is no, not well, capable course, of this. But I think but the real answer is like, yeah, probably. Well, Maybe not this, but something along these lines. We don't know. And, and I think that that's, that's why um, – I think that's why it's, it's irresponsible not to follow these stories. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm so responsible – because I follow all these stories, so I'm an amazing person. Um, but she talks about uh, like the sociopath. Like she, there's Nancy's work, from my understanding, is has a lot to do with sociopaths previous to this. Yeah. But then there's kind of like this great chunk in the middle that I was like, my skin was tingling. I was so excited. She mentions Colin Bine by Dave Cullen. She mentions all these books that I like <laughs> love about sociopaths. But she talks about how like sociopaths um, are. It always ends badly. Mm-hmm. Like that there's some she's quoting someone who's basically like they don't all commit murder, but there's very few sociopaths who are rich, powerful and like run the world. Because, you mean like the president of the United States? Well, we haven't gotten to the end yet. OK, like I was thinking actually about Elizabeth Holmes from Theranos, the book that I did with Nancy from uh, Bad Blood. And she was like, I mean, in my opinion, a textbook sociopath. Mm-hmm. Um, and she was you know, valued at billions of dollars, but now she's arraigned and she's, you know, or now she's been indicted. So that there are these moments of glory, but you kind of wonder like, what? I'm holding on to hope that the person in the White House will fall, (laughs) will fall prey to this theory. But that, you know, there's all this great stuff about what a sociopath is. Like someone says they lack a soul. Mm. So they, they, they eat your soul because they don't have their own. Or someone else says that they take great pride and joy from, from your shame and deception, like from deceiving you that that's where it comes from. And that sometimes it's a long game and sometimes it's like in the moment swindling someone, but that the joy and the pride comes from deceiving. It's almost like you're describing someone and I can't quite put my finger on it. I I, I don't have anyone in mind. I'm just reading some quotes. Um, but yeah, that they, that their whole, someone says their whole lives are the con. They don't have their own personality except that it's to con you. Like that's, crazy and to me that feels very Jason that his whole like he was telling people Amanda was pregnant so he wasn't going to work like it was like the little cons and then the big con which I think like the big reveal con is Eldon the son's name oh my god oh my god when you read that what I mean okay so here's what so here's what happens Jason and Amanda are together they have a son named Eldon Jason had had a previous girlfriend in high school Kelly Townsend. Mm-hmm. Kelly, of course. Then he gets with Amanda. They get married. They have the two kids. They name the son Eldon. Then Amanda and Jason start, you know, falling apart. Amanda thinks Jason's back with Kelly. So Amanda does what every healthy, right-thinking woman does. Stalker woman Stalks. does. Stalks. <laughs> and goes to try to find <laughs> Kelly in the town that she lives in, like goes to the county clerk or whatever and says, can I have information on Kelly Downsend? And the woman's like, I can't help you. But I actually did just see her dad down the street, her dad, Eldon. Uh... So this <laughs> fucking guy, 
named his son with another woman after his ex-girlfriend's dad. Like, that's the long That is game. so twisted. It's so twisted. When I read that part, I was like, yo. Like, it's like, <laughs> it's like you can't even, it, I can't even talk about what I felt because I'm feeling it again. It was so jarring and terrible. It was, it, I, I didn't see that coming. How could you? It's but so then, out of But it's field. a very small detail that tells you everything. Everything. And like when he did that, like when he was like, oh, I really like the name Eldon. I, obviously, he's not thinking, oh, my wife is going to become my strained wife and eventually drop this kid off of a bridge. Like, I know he's not thinking that, but he must be thinking. I mean, he, there must be a moment of like, when she finds out this probably isn't going to be great. I don't think that someone who proposes that cares. Right, right. I mean, because, like, I feel like maybe, like, a more um, empathetic human might say, like, hey, I really like this name, Eldon. To be fair, though, it is the name of my ex-girlfriend's dad. But mm-hmm. I've always loved the name. Like, because that, you know. Fair enough. I love the names. name. It means nothing to me now. Yeah. But, but, like, the secret of it means everything. Right, right. And there other there's other things like there's oh my god the Christmas where Amanda had to take the kids up to Eugene or whatever and there was a snowstorm and so she takes the kids up to where Jason's mom and family are doing Christmas mm-hmm. and her son Gavin is with Gavin's father so she doesn't have anywhere to go for Christmas so she drives the kids up and it's a snowstorm and she I guess cuts her hand somehow so she asked to go into the house to wash her hands and they let her and then they tell her to leave and she spends Christmas in the car. Speaks in the them, snow. In the snow, watching. Right. That is... Like, so gross. Yes. And, like, pretty easy to be like, just come inside. Just come inside. Just come inside. Go to your room. I don't know. It's just, like, these, like, these wildly horrible things. Well, it's it's also, you know, I think this is a recurring theme with Jason is um, the entitlement and... The enabling from right. his mom, his family, his right. family, yeah, and over and over again, and and by extension, the sort of nasty behavior towards Amanda, right? And like, there's some stuff in the book that, like, some drug stuff mm. in the book, and then there's some questions about like drug smuggling and some some stuff that honestly, for me, I was like, I don't even need this. Like this, while it's part of the story, possibly. For me, I was like, this is like not, I mean, unless it's for sure true, it's almost just like, sure, there's nothing you're going to tell me about these people that I'm going to be like, right. there's no way that was possible, except for that they were in a loving, committed relationship and treated each other really well. That's the only thing that I would be like, no, impossible. But don't you think it speaks to like this, I'm above the law, it's my, you know, sure. I... I can get away with this. The rules don't apply to me. This is quick and easy. Not like sure. having to work my way for it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it go. It all goes to like, it all goes together. Right. Yeah. But it's just like, for me, I'm like, normally if there was this drug smuggling and drug dealing and mm-hmm. all this, I'd be like, Oh, so into it. And for me, I was like, eh, well, right. Like it was so because trivial it was, compared to the rest of it. There's so much more. Yeah. Yeah. Fuck. There's so much <laughs> more. Well, and then they talk about the dinner party. Where like some of the some friends are over at the dinner and he's like berating. Well, her. that's but, what I was talking about. Like she loved to cook, and at yeah. one point that was something that she did well and yeah. that he loved, and, and he then like just a, humiliating her, making her remake dinner. Ugh. It's very 
that those dinner party scenes reminded me of the play Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. <laughs> Do you know that? Yes, play? of course. Where it's like, but everyone's wasted in both scenarios. Sure, and like this, I, I mean, it's a little bit different. Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf? Because it's kind of a game that they play together. But it's right. like how it's almost like how uncomfortable can we make these guests in our home? Right. Like how far are we willing to go in front of other people? Totally. Because again, people who are more balanced would be like let's save this for later. I don't know. Like I just, I can't imagine just totally destroying my husband. Oh my goodness. In front of other people. No, it's so so cringeworthy. And by the way, last week you asked me about a uh, book to film adaptation. Oh yeah. I would say that, you know, the play, if you're reading it as a book to film adaptation of who's afraid of Virginia Woolf is like right up there. Who, who's, Elizabeth Taylor Taylor. and Richard Burton. I saw it on Broadway with Kathleen Turner. Oh, cool. So good. It was so good. Um, This was years ago. I can't remember who played the husband, but I mean, she was like incredible. Just just tearing shit down. So good. It's a good play. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, that's what those scenes reminded me of. Very much like it's all kind of fun and games for them until, you know, until it isn't until it's really <laughs> sad and terrible um and then like we said what all gets lost in this is like these kids one kid is dead mm-hmm. two kids have lost their little brother they've now they've been estranged from each other the two that are alive and then gavin also the older son he didn't want to go with amanda mm-hmm. that night so like you can't imagine the guilt, the guilt. he must have yeah survivor's guilt and the rage too mm-hmm. like yeah, just, I mean, there's so much, there's almost like a whole other book here that has nothing to do with the parents and has everything to do, well, I mean, not nothing to do with the parents, but as as much as the children feel not important to the parents fighting and mm-hmm. their, their games, that there's this other story about these two children and like what that means for them. And, you know, Gavin has his father and his father's wife who seem to be pretty well-adjusted understanding you know decent human beings and so then you look at trinity and you're like well what is even going on where she is sad yeah it's really a bummer um but gavin kind of has the last word in this book and he the end is basically like yeah they were jerks to each other and like i try not to think about it too much but they shouldn't have been together and someone should have stopped all this and you're like you're 19 and you might be the smartest person in this whole book I agree, and and I think that that's that's why we we all read this book. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's incredibly difficult to, material to get through, but um, and I know it's like super heavy, but yeah. uh, having having an understanding, I think uh, you know, it's I think it we need to think about these things and and recognize in our friends and family if they're if you know if if we. Right. See something that doesn't feel right, you know, helping that person. Right. And not, you know, and dealing with those consequences later. Mm-hmm. But I also feel like there's probably a fear, too, around, like, well, what happens if I – and they did report – some people did report right. them, and then the kids were like, no, it's all great here. And they had some, like, this is a family secret, mm-hmm. like, thing that they – some game they were playing, you know, to protect – it was a mess. It was a mm-hmm. mess. Um one of the big things that Nancy runs up against in this book is people telling her to stop asking questions, to stop talking about it, to 
um, leave it alone, that she's bringing up stuff that nobody wants to talk about. And while, of course, she's talking about the worst day in a lot of these people's lives, it is interesting how much, as a society, we don't want to deal with uncomfortable things. Yeah, uh, it's an ongoing debate. Should certain stories be told that, you know, like journalists might be exploiting a painful mm-hmm. situation and um and you know what what's our obligation as as journalists when it comes to telling these stories and uh i i think that um i think it is our obligation to follow stories where they where they take us um you know and to act as a lens for for readers to draw their own conclusions Mm -hmm. i mean i don't think that nancy's trying to lead anyone to a conclusion she's just trying to make sense of it right right but yeah i I mean even more even before she was able to know what she was making Mm -hmm. just making those first calls and being told like leave us alone Mm -hmm. and then even people who aren't involved with it being like well why why would i want to read a book about this like this is just you know, sensational or this, you know, it's just, it's just a tragedy. And like, we hear it a lot, you know, after there's a school shooting or a terrorist attack, like, let's not talk. It's not, now's not the time to talk about this stuff. You know, this, there, there's an impulse to shy away from things like that, that makes it better. Mm -hmm. And I just don't know if that's true. No, no. I think that, you know, that the time to discuss it is in the moment. Right. Um, Because with, with distance, I mean, look at how short the attention span is of a news cycle, right. and and if we're if we're talking about, you know, shootings, uh, right. school shootings, what has changed and what has been resolved, and not much, right? By not talking about things, mm-hmm. and also like, I think in the moments immediately after, just like in the moments immediately after any crime, you're gonna get the most evidence and the most information out then yeah if you wait you know you get a cold case right Mm -hmm. like it's like no one's like oh let's wait a month before we investigate this murder like it's like this is the time to do the investigating this is the time to ask the questions and get the answers and but as a society we're very quick to be like let's not talk about it and Mm -hmm. I think that I think that's really too bad Um, but Nancy deals with that well I mean she definitely kind of lets us know that that's what's going on, like yeah. that that's what she's running up against. Um, she said on the show, I believe, you know, just because someone doesn't talk to you, doesn't that in in, a, in and of itself is saying something, right? Like, sure, someone's absence or someone someone's unwillingness is also says says things. Okay, I want to talk about the actual book itself. Mm-hmm. The cover, it's so good. The cover is so good. If you have the book, the hardback. Um, you should take off the jacket. That's what I'll say. You should undress your book. Undress I never it. do it. Nancy told me to, and I was like, ooh. So yeah, if you have it, <laughs> undress it. It's a little sexy surprise for you. Um, what do you think of the title? I love the title. Love the title. It, it's really right on. This book really, this book is exactly what it sets out to be. It is. And in general, I'm not a fan of a coy title Mm -hmm. I want to know what it's about and this this is this is it this is this is not throwing your kids off the bridge it's what led you to To the the bridge bridge. yeah how we got to the bridge totally a hundred percent um 
I really hope this book gets made into a movie. Oh, I know. It would be incredible. Do you have anybody that you would cast in it? Well, so I listen. I'm a a loyal listener to this podcast, and (laughs) I love it because I think that – that you may have missed your calling as a casting director. I used to think that I wanted to do that. I, you, I mean, it could happen <laughs> yeah. because, uh, listen up, Tracy's about to cast this thing okay. and it's going to be bomb. <laughs> okay, well, I'm going to try. Okay. So there's two pictures of Amanda in the book, which you all should look at if you have it, on page 11 and page 131. Mm-hmm. Page 11 is after she's arrested for throwing the kids off the bridge. Mm-hmm. And page 131 is a previous arrest. And legitimately you it they look like different people it's the same person um so that being said I use those as my basis and I also googled what Jason looked like so I and my first one is more based on looks and my hope that she could be a great star <laughs> but I don't know is Vanessa Hudgens all right she looks a lot like her okay if she wanted her star turn this might be it um also an older actress a little bit might be too old to play the part Jessica Biel Interesting. Because, you know, now she's like a serious actress. Well, I mean. She has that TV show where she's like traumatized all the time. Yeah. I think she like kills her husband or something. All right. Well, then she's already done the work. Yeah, that's what I mean. And then Brie Larson, who's like a fragile. She's good at being like a fragile, Uh you know. Oh, yeah. So those are my three for her. Mm -hmm. And then for him, a little harder um, because I don't don't know. I was having a hard time thinking of like jerky looking guys. But I think there are so many. Yeah, I know. I I don't know. I was having a hard time with him. Maybe too old also, but maybe Jake Gyllenhaal. Hmm. Also, actors and actresses are too handsome and beautiful to play normal people. I have a hard time sometimes being like, you're too hot. Um, Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Okay. And then also Andrew Garfield, because he's a really good actor. I know I can't. I, he's a hard one he's to figure out. He's a harder out. one, he's, but I feel like it's going to come to me at four in the morning, okay. and I am going to text it to okay, you and I'll because put it in the show notes. it's got to be like this dude. We all know this dude. Yeah, he's like too. That's what I mean. Like Hollywood people are like almost too exceptional looking. Yeah, to be. I feel like maybe there's like a TV actor I'm not thinking of. Yeah, who might be we a know this dude because he's like the most just like normal looking mm-hmm. like dude. Mm-hmm. I don't know. But anyway, so th- yeah. that's my cast for now. I've, I'm excited about it. I hope it gets made into something because I feel like it There's would, a lot there. There's a lot there. And I don't – they'd have to get Nancy to play Nancy. Well, only Nancy can play Nancy. <laughs> only Nancy can be Nancy. Um, do you have anything else you want to add in about this book? I don't know. I, I uh, go buy the book, read the book. Um, Again, having had a sideline seat to the making of this book, mm-hmm. it's incredible what went into it, how many hours of yeah. interviews and years and writing and rewriting. Um, just the structure of it is is pretty incredible for talking straight up craft. Right. And, um, you know, it's like I, I said to Nancy when people ask, you know, why the story and it, it really is kind of it's not like she picked the story it kind of picked her Mm -hmm. and she just couldn't she couldn't not write it yeah um and you know she spent she gave so much of herself following this um so congratulations nancy this is an incredible book and you wrote a piece about the book i did an interview with nancy earlier this summer for the los angeles review of books so So i'll put that in the show notes you guys can check it out um so that's that. Um, 
now, oh, we have a really exciting guest next week. I won't tell you who it is. And then the week after that, we're doing The Bluest Eye by Toni Morrison. Ooh. Have you read it? Yeah. I read it for the first time. I loved it. I can't wait to listen. Yay. All right. Well, Heather, thank you so much for being here. And thank you guys for listening. And we'll be back next week. That's all for today. Thank you for listening. And thank you to our guest, Heather John Fogarty. Thank you to Little A Publishing for our copies up to the bridge. Remember, you can support this show by being a member of the Stacks Pack by going to patreon.com slash the stacks. Make sure you're subscribed to the show wherever you get this podcast. And if you're listening through Apple Podcasts, please rate and review. Our graphic designer is Robin McCright. Our theme music is from Tagiragis. And this show was created and produced by me, Tracy Thomas. I'll see you all in the stacks.